Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I want to welcome you to the second week of this summer series entitled Storms. And if you're new with us, we kicked it off last week and we're talking about a biblical metaphor, a biblical picture of the unexpected that comes into our lives. And we're equipping ourselves to be able to handle those unexpected moments if you're in that moment now, which by the response I received last week, many of you are in a storm. But we're also equipping ourselves for the future storms that we face. I want to welcome those watching online. Welcome our McKinney campus that's streaming live with us as well. Would you guys put your hands together and welcome all those that are joining in with us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24. Matthew 7 24. I want to celebrate something amazing that happened here this week. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of the volunteers that helped us with an incredible vacation Bible school. And uh, it was just amazing. We had so many volunteers. We had dads who volunteered. We had a lot of moms who volunteered. But I want to tell you what was so amazing And this is a little behind the scenes. I showed up at church on Monday uh, here, and we have some meetings and stuff going on, and these young people getting ready for those that would participate in Vacation Bible School had taken over the church. I mean, they just confiscated the green rooms, I mean, offices. We had staff trying to find a Starbucks or somewhere to do their work because these people just took over. And uh, it it is amazing to me that we have these layers of leaders and to have half of the volunteers, what's really cool about that is this is not a group of adults that are putting on something for the next generation. This is the next generation leading one another because that is a powerful thing, okay? I mean, we had high school, yeah, it's a great place to clap. We had our high school interns that were working. Then we had those that were older and next gen leading all of the music and they just took over the microphones and the stage and just pushed us out of the way. Uh, That's so exciting. The best thing about it though that's so amazing to me is we had 250 kids give their heart and life to Christ around that. And so that's, that's really exciting. So many young people have been impacted through Vacation Bible School, and it's a great starting place in the faith journey for so many kids, and so thank you for all of you that helped make that possible along the way. Well, we're talking about storms, and I did a little digging back in some old notes from my college time at Baylor. Uh, I took a class. Uh, It's technically was like Geology 4351. But it was affectionately called Rocks for Jocks. Come on now, help me out now, all you BA students and, uh, and uh, phys- physiology majors and whatever you were. I mean, come on now, all of you science people, you like took math and science, you know, and you like enjoyed it. The rest of us are just trying to get a credit. Come on, anyway. But anyway, geology, this class, I look back, we studied a lot of these storm-type disasters. We were studying, in fact, the subtitle, Earthquakes and Natural Disasters and Storms. And I look back at some old stuff there, but in, in fact, there was a tsunami that hit Alaska in 1958. And the 
the height of the wave was over 1,700 feet. Luckily, it was in a fairly uninhabited area, and, and yet, though the destruction was so great, and in fact, a earthquake starts in the ocean, and then it just builds, this wave does, and, and you know, some of you, you're facing a little rainstorm, and it's a little inconvenient. Some of you have had a full-on tsunami that just comes and brings destruction. Last week, we talked about how to see these storms. And we're not just looking at geology and different things in our natural lives. The Bible uses this metaphor. There's lots of psalms about God calming the seas. There's a story like we looked at last week. And last week, we started by learning how to respond, how to see a storm. This week, I want to help you with how to stand in a storm. How to stand in it. What do you actually do? What can you do to be better equipped for the storms that life brings us along the way. Also did a little research, one of the most recent, by the way, because of storms, because of challenges, our building techniques have become more and more reinforced. And I found the tallest building on the west coast is the Wilshire Grand Center. It's a beautiful building, this tall skyscraper of a building, and it looks great, and most people see everything on the outside, but because it needs to be able to withstand a Richter scale of above seven earthquake, it's not just about what you see on the outside that ensures its long-term viability. It's what's below the surface. It's what's down below. And it was the largest concrete pour in history, and it goes down multiple, multiple stories, 10 stories worth of concrete to make sure that this structure can withstand the storm. This week, I wanna talk about your concrete. I wanna talk about what's below the surface. I wanna talk about how you can dig down deep as is referenced by Jesus, dig down deep so that you actually have a strong footing for what God wants to do in your life so you can withstand the storms and the pressures that come your way. Now here's the thing about storms. Some of you may not have listened last week, and, but the fact is storms, there's an element to them we don't totally understand. There's, there's an element of where they show up and how they come, and so uh, a lot of times we're looking for some type of explanation or some type of way to avoid them, but the fact is we don't really always know. And I don't know that that's always what God's main objective in our lives is, is for us to understand why the storm or how the storm or could have I avoided the storm. But one thing we do know, they come. And there's no Christian storm, there's no atheist storm, there's no agnostic storm, for that matter there's no priest or pastor storm, there's just storms. And they come our way and what Jesus exhorts us to from this passage is because they do come our way and because they don't come with a label, Jesus tells us what to do to get ready, what to do to be better equipped for the storms that are coming in our lives. This passage I ask you to turn to here is in Jesus's most famous sermon. It's really probably the most famous sermon ever preached. It's his longest sermon. It's preached from the Mount of Beatitudes. 
Jesus had quite a following at this point when he gave this sermon. Amazing. In fact, I'd never seen this before, but previous to uh, what we see when he starts this sermon, um, I, I had heard about Jesus preaching on a hillside and Jesus using water for amplification because he did not have microphones. So he's using this hillside as a place where they could all hear him and there was a large crowd of people, a lot of different estimates, but a lot of people coming. But one of the things I'd never noticed before is that the people listening to this sermon were coming from so many different places. It says they came from Jerusalem, they came from Decapolis, 10 cities, and they were from Nazareth, and so there were some that were fairly close, but did you know, if you actually look at the geography, there were people that were traveling what would have taken them like five days to come and listen to these principles. And so when we read this, we need to understand some people traveled five days to get what Jesus is about to give us through the Holy Spirit. And yet it also tells us that people at that time, just like you and I, were hungry to find some practical life answers, and Jesus gives them a lot about practical life in this famous sermon. When it starts this chapter, I thought it was quite interesting. It starts with, do not judge. We love that one in our culture today. It's like, look, I want to do what I want to. Don't judge me. Jesus actually says, do not judge, and then he gives you three ways to judge. (laughs) Kind of interesting. No, no, I understand that Jesus is saying, in case you're wondering, he is saying, you know, don't condemn. Don't, Don't put someone in a category. You may have done that before. Oh, they're in a category where there's no hope for them. They're condemned. They're, at, they're, they're totally out. Like, no, no, God can't do anything with them. Oh, of course Jesus is saying, look, don't condemn or put someone in that category. But actually, if you really read what he's saying, he's saying, spend less time being concerned about someone else's foundation, someone else's fruit, someone else's work, and spend a little bit more time investigating your own. Spend a little bit more time looking deeper within than you spend looking without. But it is a common fallacy, if you don't really understand Jesus, that we somehow lose the ability to determine what can be healthy, what can be sustainable. Of course, do not condemn, but Jesus actually tells us there is a way to actually look at your life so that it can be sustained even in storms. I love this story, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. That means there's a storm. We learned last week that, in fact, a storm is when the wind gets above about 55 miles an hour. So Jesus is using this picture that the winds are blowing, and it beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, if you don't listen to my sermon, not just hang around my sermon, but let these words become true to you, says, if you don't really apply it to your life, it says here, that person does not put it into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came to the same house. The rain came, comes to the house with sand. The rain and the wind come to that which is on the rock. But it says this one who built on the sand. The rains came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. I love this last little caveat about Jesus and his sermon. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. And they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who was demonstrating and had authority. In other words, Jesus is so bringing real life to them that can change them. The, the Bible says that these crowds said, look, he has authority and contrast that against not as their teachers of the law. He taught totally different. I don't want you to miss the detail of what Jesus is saying. I don't want you to miss the fact that he could be saying it to us, that building on sand or rock is not totally based on your proximity to the information. It has everything to do with your application of the information. And so you could be like those from all different walks of life and different backgrounds that Jesus was talking to on that hillside it's not about your proximity, it's about your willingness to put it into practice in your life. And so I'd like to give you what I believe to be a thesis from what Jesus is saying to us. Something you can take away, something that can help you in storms, and that is this, your preparation today determines your ability to stand in the storms of tomorrow. Your preparation today, what you're doing today helps you handle the storms of tomorrow. And Jesus keeps leaning on this idea of the rock and it made me think about when I was a young boy listening to an evangelist who told a story. I don't know if the story was true, I don't know if the story was anecdotal, but I like the imagery of the story so I'm gonna give it to you, it's still impressed in my mind. And that is that there was a group of sailors, a lot of them out on a boat, and there was a challenge, there was an explosion on the boat, there was some problems, the boat began to take on water, and of course all the sailors began to scramble, they began to look for everything, to find a way to save their own lives, and they, they put down the lifeboats, and some of them got in the lifeboats, and some of them put on preservers, and eventually the boat's going down, and they find themselves lost at sea, and storms come up, and the wind, and the waves, and for whatever reason, it took some time for them to rescue all of these sailors that are displaced and all over the different places out in the sea. And They later on finally arrived with the SOS and they came to pick up and there was one guy who was floating through as he starts floating out through the mass of all the sailors. He's out there and he doesn't know if he's going to be able to survive and it's a challenging scenario and the wind and the waves and he, and he starts passing by this rock. And this rock had algae, so he's got to get a hold of this rock and this rock, and, and he got, he got some, his hand somehow in this rock, and he was able just to sort of pull himself up on this rock and hold on to this rock. Later, when they rescued those that were able to be rescued and some perished, they pulled this man into the rescue boat. They said, how did you make it? And he said, well, I started floating by in the middle of all of this torrent and all of this waves, and I just found, as I passed by this rock, I just grabbed a hold of this rock. And I just found some handholds on that rock, and I just held on to that rock. And I'm going to tell you, it got lonely out there. It got scary. My emotions were going crazy. The wind was going crazy. The waves were going crazy. My buddies were perishing. 
And I just held on to the rock. I just held on to the rock. Sometimes you've got so many different thoughts, you've got so many different applications, you've got so many different medical diagnoses, and you've got so many different people telling you to do this, you've got so many ideas about what to do with the storm with your kids, you're trying to figure out how to analyze the storm. Sometimes the starting place to being able to stand, not just see the storm, not just analyze the storm, but being able to stand is you got to know how to just hold on to the rock. You got to know who that rock is. You got to know how to be close to that rock, that rock that Jesus is describing as himself. And so how do you stand in a storm? I always love to make it practical. Number one, to stand in a storm you got to first understand some things about storms. Storms reveal what we're building on. Storms reveal. Maybe you're watching online right there. You're at McKinney. And I want to tell you, a lot of times we want to know answers. We, we want to know why. We want to understand the storms. I don't totally understand them, but I've become somewhat of a spiritual meteorologist after 20 plus years of pastoring. I've watched a lot of storms blow in and out of the lives of people. I've had my own storms. We can recognize them. We sometimes can predict them, but the same way a meteorologist is somewhat challenged by the intricacies of storms and what creates them, the truth is there's a mysterious side to storms. But one thing we do know about storms is they reveal what we're building on. They reveal to us where our lives really are. As one person said, adversity introduces us to ourselves. It tells us who we really are on the inside. And so when we're looking at how we're building, one place that we get some revelation on how we're building is when some pressure comes. When pressure comes to that toothpaste, what comes out? Toothpaste. Whatever's on the inside starts coming out as pressure comes, and that's why for the future pressures you'll face, today what Jesus is saying to us is start putting large concrete pours down below the surface now before it comes. And we can really confuse ourselves sometimes to think that we are doing good. <clears throat> I'm trying to prepare for a violent storm that comes every year. My annual physical, come on somebody getting older. It's a torrential downpour. The doctor that does it is in the church. How'd you like to preach in front of the guy that does those terrible things to you? <laughs> the other day I said, I need to get better. I need to get my cholesterol good. My daughter and I went out to lunch and so she likes this little healthy place. And I got some, I thought, man, I'm coming strong. She's going to say, dad, you're doing so good. I got some kale salad that looks a little bit like this, you know? And I got it, man. I'm like, man, I'm going to really be powerful. I sat down and she said, you know, dad, there's so many people that think they're preparing for health storms. They think they're, I'm like, I'm trying to do good here. She said, that has so much sugar in the dressing. It's terrible for you. I thought, my gosh, I'm in trouble. You know what I'm saying? So many times we think we're putting the right components in there only to find later, hey, maybe we're building on sand. But what you do need to know is that storms will reveal. By the way, you don't start a renovation project in the middle of a storm. 
You, you don't have some torrential downpour and go, hey, let's remodel the house. The time to prepare is before the storm, before it comes. Here's number two, I wanna get really practical with you because I'm trying to help you know how to stand and I got so much response from so many of you. I want you to be able to stand. Here's number two, build on the foundation of Jesus. Build on the foundation of this rock, Christ Jesus. And I know for a lot of you, you're like, that sounds so pastoral, that sounds so churchy. Like when Jesus says build on the rock, like what does that actually look like? I talked to a person this week, they said, Jeff, you know, all this is so new to me. Like you're talking about like practically living for Christ, practically applying Christ to your life, to your job, to your marriage, to your health. You're like, you're all the time talking about all those things about how Jesus can become real to us and how we can be close to him and I want that and he's changing my life but I really have no idea like what are some of the foundations? Like what does it even look like? And that's the great news. All of us can build on the rock. But I wanna give you, if I were to sit down with you, I'd like to give you some things that if you and I, I've, I don't know how many people I've done small groups with and couples groups and men's groups and development groups and different things where I sit down and, and work with people or right now we have these interns and I'm getting a chance to have some interactions with them and so I, I want people to win. I want your faith to win. And, and so I, I look at it and say, look, I want to make this as basic as possible to help you know how to really build. What are some basic components that I would give you? So I thought we might compare and contrast real quick. It's a great learning technique. What's the difference in building on the sand and building on the rock? Well, building on the sand is that Jesus really is just a wise teacher or a consultant. In fact, if I were to sit down with you and say you and I were doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship, I want to tell you, this is where I would camp out. I've been known when we take the little booklet that we use here in 301, which I encourage you, the reason we have a growth track here at Milestone is to help you get started. And let me tell you, you never outgrow needing to continue to put concrete down in that foundation. We have a little tool that we use where we talk about these biblical foundations, and I've been known to camp out on your understanding of Jesus for weeks for months, because that's where it all starts, that's where it all ends, that's where everything else is really an outflow of that revelation. And if you believe Jesus is just someone you go to when you have a challenge, if Jesus is just someone to consult you or to give you some new information, then you'll build on sand and Jesus is a wise teacher. Jesus is a great consultant, but I wanna tell you, he's more than that. Building on the rock is that you have a moment in your life where Jesus becomes Lord of your life. There's an understanding, and I understand you may have confessed Christ, you may have been quote unquote saved and thank God for the power of his grace that accepts us where we are, and his grace and his relationship that we have with him and the way he loves us and the way we get closer to him and he makes us become more like him is such a powerful truth. But I wanna tell you, if you've spent any time with Jesus, you're gonna find yourself Again, not out of legalistic rules or condemnation, but you're gonna find yourself as you get closer to him, feeling a draw and a desire to submit more of your life to him. Just say, okay, you can have that too. You, you can have that, and well, if you want that, you can have that too. And you'll just find yourself just continuing. The, the worst thing to do is to focus on 
the sand. The best thing to do is focus on the rock, and as you get closer to this rock, it continues to become more of your life. The next thing is sand is being led by feelings and emotions. Again, in working with people, I find this is one of the big ones that trip us up. The Bible encourages us with this. The Bible actually says that the word of God, you receive it, it becomes immediately, it's filled with joy. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So once you get started in this relationship with Jesus, here's what happens. Circumstances come, situations come, perspectives come that if you have an emotional bias to a situation, you could abandon the truth. And that's why to have a great foundation, you predetermine not to build on sand. By the way, sand is a component of concrete. The problem is it's incomplete by itself. Are emotions wrong? No. But when you study the word emotion, literally the etymology of the word is that it is filled with, again, motion, to move, to to spur it. So, So this idea of emotion is that, look, Emotions are not loyal. I, I'm the, I can be that way too. I hit a situation that I care deeply about and I, and I have to work with submitting to Jesus to not let my emotions overtake the situation to see it wrong. You have to stop, you have to back up. Okay, Jesus, I want your perspective. And so not being led by these disloyal things called feelings and emotions primarily. That's not my foundation. Thank God for feelings and emotions. I hear some people, I just feel, I just feel that will get your house starting to have some serious breakdown in it. But what can be counted on, and I love this, in your, in your notes there, I put the scripture as authority, I actually sort of added to it, scripture is my authority, obedience is my goal, and active faith is the result. So in other words, this becomes so real that it's not a fleeting emotion that's moving around, it becomes something that can be trusted and counted on. Let's make that even more practical. When unforgiveness and situations come in your life where there's challenges, you've already predetermined that forgiveness is what I'm going to offer, not because that's naturally, emotionally what I wanna give, but because Jesus Christ, in his most trying moment on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and because I'm close to that rock and that foundation's in my heart, even when I don't desire forgiveness, the truth and the rock and the foundation of Jesus take over and I respond differently. So I've already predetermined that forgiveness, really true. When you read about storms in here with Jesus, he keeps saying, I, I, want, I want you to have this faith. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the biblical results of who he is as a person being operated in your life. When it comes to your finances, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to your family. I've already pre- I'm going to honor God. Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to honor him with my finances. That's why we try to take you as well through like financial peace. We have financial classes here. That's why we have freedom here. That's why we have small groups here. Why? Because we know the storms are coming. The storms are coming to your finances. The storms are coming to your family. So what do we want to do? Keep equipping you, not with just more church knowledge, but equipping you to make Jesus Lord of your life, to say the scripture is my authority, not my heritage, not my grandmother, not this person. The scripture is authority. Obedience is my goal. And active faith, real faith that works in real life is the result. And so you start seeing that happen in your life. Listen to any voice and find people that'll agree with you. The fact is when you take, we learned this last week in a storm, every time you take a step away from God, which is what the enemy wants to have happen in your storms, 
You take a step away from God, you'll find two people there to agree with you. You want to surround yourself. Here's what building on the rock is. Surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with people that are building on that foundation themselves. That'll encourage you with that foundation in your life. We all need it. I need it. You need it. Here's what I like to say. You want people in your life speaking to you the truth about building on the rock. You want them to speak it to you so the storm doesn't have to tell you that you have a bad foundation. You want them encouraging you in it and encouraging you toward it all along the way. Now here's the good news. The final thing is, you're in a storm right now. I know a lot of you are by the response. We find hope and encouragement in Jesus. This is so powerful. We're not doing these things as a set again of just, we're gonna do these principles so that we never have a house that falls. No, we're in love with the rock. We're in love with the rock and he's the one providing the strength and stability for us. And so he's the one that encourages us. And I know there's some of you out there, you're like, well, I didn't build on that. And now my house is shaking up. And now I got walls falling down and I got people that I care about and I've got problems. Here's the hope from Jesus' message. Don't miss it. Don't think you came to church and it's just, oh, Jesus just gave us some principles and now we need to go do this in our own strength. No, here's what he said. If you read it, he said, if you'll build on me, and it's never too late, if you'll build on me, the wind's going to come, the rain's going to come, but this too shall pass. We're going to make it on the other side of this if you'll just build on me. If you'll just focus on me at whatever level you are, whatever place you are, you'll just focus on me. I find that the longer that I walk through life, more people need more encouragement because there's so many storms and so much wind blowing their way. And I don't want to tell you, but anyone can offer encouragement. A young child or anyone can offer encouragement, a pastor or anyone. But I'll tell you, it is meaningful when you receive encouragement from someone. By the way, we love highlighting the next generation, but we're a multi-generational church. In fact, did you know we have a gentleman, I think I met the youngest member of Milestone here this weekend. I, that, this, this, this couple brought their child, the baby, a little girl had a big old Texas bow that was bigger than her. I met her. She said, I think this is the newest member of Milestone. I said, well, she's so precious. I think I know the oldest member of Milestone. He's a little over 90 years old. He lives here by the Keller campus. This week I drove by his house. He was mowing his own grass. Brother's been eating kale without the sugar dressing. <laughs> And yet, I want to tell you what's the power of having a multi-generational church. Hear this. What's real powerful for those of you that are out there, never underestimate your power and ability to help someone in a storm. When somebody's been through and that, that house has been weathered a little bit, and they, they love to pat, by the way. This, this, I grew up in church. They just pat you. This is going to pass. You're like, that's easy for you to say. You're not in the house. But I'm going to tell you, it's so true. After you walk with Jesus, and as I said last week, build a history with God, you start learning, you know what? It's going to be okay. We're just going to hold on to Jesus. We're going to keep building on Jesus. And we're going to continue to apply him as a person, as a rock in the foundation of what we're doing. I recently returned with, with a team of people, and we're preparing for a series for you this fall that I'm really excited about where I shot some clips on different locations from Jesus and 
we're just going to really have a great time this fall. But I was thinking about this idea of building on the rock. We went into the rabbinic tunnels under the wall there that was part of the second temple. And one of the things that happens when you walk through that tunnel is you see these enormous stones. There was one stone that we all just stopped and got mesmerized by that's in the foundation of this temple and it is so large, it's 1.2 million pounds. I mean, it's just overwhelming. So we start talking and we're like, wonder how they got that there, you know? It's kind of like if you've ever seen the Great Pyramids. I remember when I saw the Great Pyramids, my, you know, it's like, how did this happen? How did these people get those big rocks? You know, of course, there's all these theories, aliens built it. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> but you look at that and I just had this thought. We had a thought as we were talking. What if they didn't move the stone at all? What if they started with the 1.2 million pound stone? There's an idea in the Bible that Jesus is our cornerstone. We don't add him to what we're already doing. We start building there. We start with him as the stone and then because he's such an enormous stone bigger than 1.2 million pounds, we build around him in our lives and it helps us be able to weather the storm. I don't know what foundation that you started with. I don't know where you're coming from. In fact, when you share a message like this, a lot of times there's so many people that say, look, I don't know if I can get there from here. I don't even know. Pastor, you know, it's like I'm coming from a totally different place, but I want to encourage every single person listening to me. I want to encourage you with this. No matter where you're coming from, it's never too late to start building on the cornerstone, Jesus. No matter where, no matter how bad the house is damaged, no matter even if you understand the principles, I gave you just some basics there, just a little snapshot, just a little, just a little nugget, but there's so much more to it. No matter where you're coming from, you can start building that way. It's Father's Day. I want to tell a story that I've never told before. I actually called my mom this week and asked if I could tell the story. It's a story about my grandfather and my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was a successful businessman in Georgia and had a great store and some other businesses. And my grandfather was an only child and born into privilege. The family members say that they washed him with silk rags. He was fed with a silver spoon. He had everything, but at 14 years old, there was an interaction with my great-grandfather to where someone that there was some money kind of challenges or something owed. And at 14 years old, my grandfather watched a man kill my great-grandfather. Which that moment, and it's a horrible scene or a terrible thing, but at that moment, he developed unforgiveness and hate, and he ended up, there was a whole other host of factors that happened. His life spiraled out of control. He became homeless. He became whatever. He ultimately became successful himself, had an alcohol issue, had family issues, had no family, really ability to understand how to build family, live separate from his family. He actually was delivered from alcohol in the moment that he actually forgave this man before he really knew Jesus. He called the man on the phone and said, you've lived a miserable life, but I've lived a miserable life. And I forgive you, and he had, had freedom there from the alcohol issue, but he still didn't know Christ. But uh, in the latter stages of his life, as he started having some sickness, a man came to him and began to talk to him about Jesus. 
And he had the feeling that, man, I've done too much. I've gone too far. This is too late for me in the game. There's no way that I could receive Jesus. He had such a wrong picture. He had the condemnation view of Jesus that you somehow have to fix yourself to come to Jesus. But this man explained to him there's forgiveness. And he accepted Christ. But back up the story, I'm talking about building a foundation. He ultimately met Jesus later, but he lived his life with so many storms because he didn't know how to build a good foundation. But my mom, when they moved to a house when she was eight years old, there was a little church down the street that had things like VBS. She started going to church. I'm gonna tell you, that's why I love these young people. You don't know the foundation that they have at home. You don't even know if they're being supported at home. You don't even know if there's people there to tell them how to build. Now, all of us that have lived a little bit, you know what we know? They're cute and precious, but they're fun to face storms as they get older. A lot of times there's no one there to help them know how to build on the foundation of Christ. But my mom, eight years old, she started going to that little church. She started learning the word of God. And you've heard me tell the story. Most mornings I woke up, she was praying for me. I grew up with a different foundation because my mom, not the foundation of my grandfather, and that was the enemy strategy to destroy him, but because she found a different foundation and decided, you know what, I want a family that's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Was it perfect? Is it perfect? No, but I'm gonna tell you, I highly recommend the building strategy. It's a totally different way to live. And in that story, we also see on Father's Day how important it is, dads. When I do the, the deal with the teenagers here recently, the number one thing they say, dads are huge. If you looked at the prayer requests on this back screen, most of them had to do with dads, not to in any way compromise the importance of moms, but dads, you are huge. So right here at the end of the service, I, I want you to stand. If you're a dad, I want you to stand right now, maybe there in McKinney, maybe there online. I want you to know I'm thinking about you and praying for you. It's powerful to see all of you guys in church, by the way. Can we give them a round of applause? <clears throat> now I could give you, I could give you some kind of tie that you're not gonna wear, or a grill, and yours is probably better than the one we could afford to buy you. But we a lot of times think about some kind of gift to give you, or maybe we need to have a car show, or some kind of barbecue, or something like that, which all that's great, but the best thing I could give you is to strengthen your foundation and encourage you. Some of you guys, I'm proud of you. you you're starting to make changes in the foundation of your home. Some of you have had some real life-changing experiences with Jesus. Some of you, you don't, you don't know. You're like, man, my house is getting tore up, pastor. It's not too late. It's not too late, and you have no idea the impact you'll have on that home if you'll decide to say, I want to build on rock and not sand. And so I want to encourage you. A lot of times what you do is not seen. No one can really appreciate the sacrifice you make, but I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for these men. I thank you, Lord, for what they represent. I recognize a lot of times they feel inadequate, though they don't want to tell anyone. And I ask you, Lord, right now, by the power of your spirit, to strengthen their foundation. I ask you to help them inspect their foundation, what they're building on, and be able to transfer solid building materials even to those around them that they're responsible for. Father, I pray you'd help them resist the enemy. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen them so that they can build a house that stands, not built on their ability, but built on the strength of who you are, Jesus. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give these guys another round of applause? Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 